what's up? My name is Grace, and thanks for tuning in to the GT Young Adults Podcast. We're a community, a part of GT Church in Victoria, BC. We love Jesus and have a passion to learn and live like Him and have a ton of fun doing it. All of the messages and conversations you find here will point you to His truth and His hope, so lean into whatever God wants to speak to you today. Enjoy what you're about to hear, and thanks for listening. is like the cool side or something like something I see you guys over there you're just like rocking it don't don't let in peer pressure to come over like just stay over it's great good for you good for you guys hey welcome to church we single out people who sit on their own that's what we do here no I'm kidding I'm kidding uh welcome to church my name is Lucas uh this is the six this is the service for generally for young adults but hey anyone is welcome and we're just glad that this time works for you and uh, you decided to come to church and not see imagine dragons so you love Jesus more than them good for you Good for you. You're going to heaven. Just kidding. It's not like that, but good start. Good start. Uh, I do want to quickly just echo some of the challenges laid before you from our worship team and from Calista. Like, there are some people in this room who I know who have not been baptized, who have, have always talked about getting in a small group, who, like, I want to encourage you. Let this be the year that you do the very thing that we're calling out, we're saying. We don't just say it because it's, like, fun. Like, if you love Jesus and you've never been baptized, get baptized. Like, there's something really powerful about that. Maybe for you, Easter's usually just like, I just lounge, I just take the hall. No, like, get to a service. Come to the sunrise. Me and Bren will be there. Like, it's gonna be fun. Actually, every year at sunrise, it's kind of this conversation at the table, and Andy's like, so who should do sunrise? And then it just, that's all he says. <laughs> and I, 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 this guy will do it, so, so I'll be there, so come, join us. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, it's gonna be great. I can't wait to do it, and I can't wait to see you guys on Easter. Get baptized. Join a small group. Like press in. There's some good stuff going on here. We are in week number two, question number two of a series called "Questions Jesus Asked," where we take a kind of deep dive look at some of the more in-depth in and difficult questions that that Jesus asks us, which is interesting, right? Like if you if you have background in faith, you're like, it's crazy that Jesus, who although fully man, also fully God, would take time to ask questions. Like, what's he really getting at with that? Why would he ask a question if he knows everything? Like, it's just a, it's kind of a funny thought. And so we took some time to dig through the scriptures and try and find a scripture, like some questions that Jesus asked that were, I don't know, just super interesting and maybe even a little bit difficult. And so this week's question, to be honest, as we lead into Easter, it makes a lot of sense. Today's question, I've titled this sermon, A Dangerous Question, um, mostly because it is. Like, it's just, it's a bit spicy. It's a bit, it's a bit... It's interesting, like it's not an easy thing that he asks, that he says. It tackles some things I think that for many of us we've wondered and pondered ourselves. It's a question that I'm not really sure the guy who Jesus asked it to knew what to say. Uh, I'm not sure we would know what to say. It's a dangerous question. There are dangerous questions. Last week I talked about how there aren't, we used to say, you know, there are no stupid questions, but we really know that there are stupid questions, right? There's stupid questions. There's also dangerous questions. A dangerous question in my house for sure from my wife would be, how do I look? Right, like that's a dangerous question. There's only one way to answer that. The answer is, wow, that's all I say now. And then Trina goes, you're lying. And she goes and changes anyway. It's so annoying. Tell me what to say, ladies, because I'm just like, you, literally at 11 out of 10 every time. I don't know what you want me to say. And she's just like, no. And she doesn't believe me. No, she doesn't believe me. It's not funny. Don't clap. She literally doesn't believe me anytime. It's so frustrating. You know, it's a dangerous question. Maybe even when you've had that with your friends, you're going out, whatever it is, you're like, how do I look? And you're, you know, great. Uh, what else do you say to that, right? I'm not getting into that. 
actually lately, more or less, the dangerous question in our house is with my kids, where especially Bo, he'll like, he'd be so proud of this drawing he just did that is so bad. Like, he's the worst drawer. He is. He's four now, and he's just got, he's so bad at it. Like, Georgia was drawing all over the place by three, and Bo, like, it's fine. I love him. Relax. Like, he's well-fed. He's loved. But he doesn't need to be good at drawing. Leave me alone. You're like, yeah, terrible dad. No, he sucks at drawing. It just is what it is. He's good. He's great at other things. He's wonderful. It's not that harsh. He's my son. He, I love him. Relax. But he's, he'll come up to me and he'll be like, Dad, look. And I'm like, what an awesome race car. It's a dinosaur. Dinosaur. Really good dinosaur boat. It's so good. Like, I love it, buddy. Recycling, you know? That's kind of what happens. It's the truth. Guys, relax. He's awesome. I love him. Actually, Bo's my favorite right now. So there you go. Look at that. It's true. I feel like a lot of people don't, haven't been here in a while or something. Like, I make cracks, like, jokes like this all the time. I love all my kids. They're loved by Jesus and myself. Relax. And so there's some dangerous questions, right? And maybe you know of some. Maybe, like, it's that question your boss always asks you, or he's like, or she's like, hey, um, have you got that, that project done? And you're like, oh, I definitely don't, but you always ask me a day early. Why are you doing that? And you're not really sure how to answer, and you want to be, you know what I mean? It's one of those. Or, like, Maybe it's from mom or dad, right? Like there's a question they always ask, like, are you doing this? Are you, have you forgot to do that? And you're like, oh, why are you like, and there's always this concern. And so there are questions that you feel like you've got to be a little hesitant on. You're not sure how to answer. That is one of them tonight. The one we're tackling is one of them. And honestly, there's a lot of context to get through. You guys know I don't ever want to just skip through things. And so there is lots of work to get done tonight. So if you have a Bible, go to John 5. That's the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 1. We're starting right there. There's a blue Bible in front of you, page 864. I'm reading out of that. And or it's going to be on the screens, and that's where we're going to be, okay? Jesus is asking a question, and it's a big one. Verse 1 says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Verse 2, Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Okay, a little bit of context to this, because this is important. You have to understand, Jesus is a Jew, and he is walking up to go to one of the festivals. Um, I actually don't, I, I, truthfully, I don't remember which one it was in this moment, but he's walking up to go, and, and there's three main kind of Jewish festivals that there would actually be a, a kind of a pilgrimage to go to. And so it was, it was custom for men specifically, if they were in, I think it's like 15 or 20 mile radius, that you would actually walk up and go towards the Temple Mount, and you'd go that way. Well, other ones, it just kind of happened in different places. And so there are seven different festivals, feasts. There's three main ones, Passover, the week of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and it's probably one of those three, and Jesus is on his way to do that. It's interesting to note that because, one, these festivals, these feasts, truthfully symbolize the Messiah. Like, it's an interesting thought just to think about how Jesus is walking and going to something that literally is about, like, Passover is a symbol to Jesus. Like, it's the whole thing. We don't have time to break it down in this moment. But it's this interesting thing that the Jews are set up. They're in, kind of engraved in this constant, like, symbolic reality rather than seeing the Messiah who's right in front of them. And I always, when I read that, I kind of want to find myself, where am I looking at all these things that are Christ-like, but I'm not actually getting my eyes just on Christ? And the same thing happens here. And I think what's interesting about this is, is Jesus is on, on the way. And yet he will stop and take time, and we're going to find in a moment he'll talk to a man, and he'll heal him. There's a healing that's about to take place. And I think for us, specifically this generation, we sometimes think, that, yeah, of course he is. That's what Jesus does. He's a healer. 
that's just what he does. He just roams and loves people and has dinner with like the outcast and heals and heals. And that's, that's his ministry. That's who Jesus is. And for some of us, we can kind of lean only into that. And let me tell you, that was not the main office, if you will, of Jesus. Jesus came to preach, to actually bring the kingdom of heaven, to show that there is sin and that we need a savior. That was the main office. And a part of that was healing. In fact, healings were often things that were like kind of an inconvenience for him, which sounds weird, but an inconvenience for his travel plans. But Jesus loves to be inconvenienced in, in, when it comes to people and being compassionate. And that's what makes Jesus awesome. You understand what I'm saying? Like it wasn't actually like, oh, I'll just go over and do this. Like he was on his way to something, but he sees someone in need. He sees someone hurting. He sees someone struggling and he stops and he takes time and he listens and he leans in. Friends, that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the best part is that he stops and he takes time. It's the fact that he does that. You'll see it in John 4. He could have, he actually went the long way just to have a conversation with the Samaritan woman. That's who Jesus is. And you just see that. Now, the second part is the sheep gate pools, Bethesda covered in colonnades, like this porch with like, like this is whole thing. And I just want to go on a little small tangent. Will you let me do that? I'm going to do it anyways. I have a microphone. So if you're not a believer, if you're a skeptic, if you just come because you, you know, got dropped off or you, your friends came or someone promised you like dinner afterwards or something, this verse is very much for you. I love the Gospel of John. Like it is for sure my favorite book. Like if you grew up in youth with me at all, like you know this is where I always found myself. Um, mainly because it's so unique. It's 90% unique. It mostly covers the two weeks, like the weeks around the cross, which is awesome because we're coming into Easter. And when we look at John, we kind of look at it like this love letter, which sounds odd, but it's this like love letter from, from God to us. And it's like John writes it and it's this beautiful, they show sacrifice and, and Jesus' love for you and for me. And John as an author doesn't get as much cred, okay? He doesn't have as much prowess as, as Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He doesn't get it the same. Matthew, this brilliant author, we've talked about him a lot lately, uh, where he was rewriting the first five books of the Bible in Matthew. He was showing like the, the Torah, he was showing the Pentateuch, if you will, and now he's showing this new, Matthew's showing this new Torah. This Jesus has come, he's setting it up differently. He's really brilliant. And then you have Mark, who was like Peter's firsthand eyewitness account, writing it like totally like really good writer. And then you have Luke, the doctor historian turned church planter. And then you have John, just broham to Jesus. Like that's, that's kind of the title. That's all he gets. Like when he writes about himself in his own book, he goes, and Jesus looked at the, to whom he loved or the one he loved. It's kind of funny. It's like, cool, John, really cool. That's what you want to put in there. Like he, he just doesn't get as much crap. And for a long time, people would look at this verse or verses like this in John and just tear it apart. Like a lot, of, they felt like a lot of stuff he wrote in there was just him like puffing up his best friend. Like there's, they, they, for a long time, they actually couldn't find this place, the Bethesda, the pools, the sheep gate. They, they never found this location for, for many years. This is like dating back before 1950s. Long story short, they'd done an archeological dig and found this exact spot. But why do I tell you all that? Why does that matter? Because I think for many of us, we look at one thing in here sometimes and we're just like, oh, that's ridiculous. Or that doesn't make sense. Or did you know that the Bible about this? Well, did you know that there's some discrepancies about from Matthew's version to Mark's version? So they're, this whole thing, throw it out. 
And we jump to conclusions based off of one small, tiny thing. And I can't help but think of all the people who looked at this verse. And this verse was used to, like, even literally turn and run away from faith. They never found this place in the dig, so it, it can't be real. John's just that, you know that best friend? Just your hype man all the time, like, or whoever it is, like, always pumping you up, like, you're the best. That's who John is. That's all he's doing. No, no. They found all of this. I read this quote this morning, and I can't remember where I found it, but... Without any hesitation, it may be stated that no archaeological study has ever contradicted biblical findings. It's really interesting. Don't give up on God, young adults. Don't give up on God because one line you didn't understand or one sermon that you had a question about. Ask questions. DM us. Get in a group. Find someone that you trust. Like I've told you this. Like, like if you, if you like disagree once in a while, that's okay. Like it's a good thing. There is life in this book, and I pray and, and really hope that it holds authority in your life. God's not scared of your questions. Okay, tangent over. John 5, 3, here we go. A great number of disabled people used to lie. Sorry, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Verse five, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. 38. There's a bit of a historical mythology. Some people think this is true, some people don't. But basically what, what happened at these pools, they were known as the healing pools. And there was a belief that an angel, or Jesus would actually bring an angel down and as they touched like the water, like bubbles would rise up and the first person to touch the bubbles would be healed. Now there's an aqueduct found lying right beneath here. And so from my study, I don't see this being legit. It actually seems to be more uh, superstition, if you will. But it's interesting that people would rush down to get healed and you have to understand, like picture yourself in this man's shoes for a moment. He is a paraplegic. That's what that word invalid means. Being that close to what you believe is perceived hope. Imagine being two, three, four, five feet away from healing pools and yet physically you cannot reach out to the healing you so desire. Like find yourself here for a moment. You would be in complete and total misery. You would literally be in despair. There would be an acceptance that healing is never gonna come, that this is where I am, this is who I am, unable to even uh, I don't, like clean yourself because of how um, just like physically disabled you are. Like physically, and, and, and you, the smell, you would've made fun of, you would've been looked at, unclean, put apart from community, not moving for 38 years. Now I joke that I'm the old guy at this service, I'm 31. 38 years paraplegic. The emotional, the physical pain. Friends, this guy's a complete tragedy. And Jesus leans in. I need you to see this. And he leans in. And he kneels down. And he discovers more about this man. And he has a conversation. And he goes to him. That's the God of the universe, friends going to this man when Jesus saw him lying there, verse six, and learned that he'd been in, in this condition for a long time, he asked him, are you ready? Here's the question, you ready? Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Hey, I know you've been here for a long time, but do you, do you want to be well? When I first read that, I was like, bold one, Jesus, you think? Like, duh. Like, I think I literally wrote D-U-H in my Bible. Duh. Like, are you kidding? Imagine going to someone who is blind and being like, 
what a seat? <laughs> like, I just think that, like, I can't even imagine the conversation that's happening here. Do you want to be well? Like, I would be, a, a, I would go swinging. Like, if he, he physically can't swing, he probably wants to. Like, no, I'm good. This has been a, I'm, I'm coming up to 40. They said they might do a little celly, celly for me. Like, we'll just, it's all good, Jesus. Like, I can't even imagine what he's thinking, what he's feeling. You can see in his response, verse seven, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the waters are stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Like I'm trying, I always get beat, man. Leave me alone. What do you want from me? Give me a break. Would you help me get in? Like all these things, he's like frustrated. And this question, to be honest, when I first read it, I was prepping, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Like Jesus, yeah, end of story. Sermon over, like good one. Why are you being mean? Like, I didn't understand. It's so difficult. And so there's got to be deeper meaning behind the question. The first thing I want you to know, the deeper meaning behind this question, from study, from reading. And guys, I, this, this question is hard. Like, I studied a ton for this because it's just, it's challenging to ask yourself, of course he wants to be healed and healing for us. Like, we have this kind of difficult relationship with it. I know. First thing is this. He wanted to see if his mindset would change as well. Like it wasn't just about him being physically healed. There was something else that Jesus was after. Let's read the response again. Verse seven, sir, the Emily replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool. When the water is stirred and I'm trying to get in, everyone beats me to the pool. When I read it differently, it comes off differently, of course. But notice he doesn't answer the way I was just explaining. He doesn't actually go, yes, please. Like, yes, more please. <laughs> Sorry. Like he doesn't answer that way. He, he, he answers with this kind of, I don't know, I don't want to call it an excuse, but when he blames others and he points at everyone else, I'm scared to use the word, he definitely becomes the victim in the moment. And listen, I am not suggesting for a moment that this man has had an easy life and that he should just figure it out. I'm not suggesting that when you're going through an awful time, you should just pull yourself up and be happy. It's not what I'm saying. I'm not suggesting that learning and understanding hardships and trauma won't uncover important things, I think it will. That's what I believe. But let me be super candid and honest with you. The question Jesus asked here in this moment is not, it's not, do you want me to heal you? But how will you respond if I do? What will you do if I heal you? Hey, listen, like, I'm not saying I can't heal you or I won't heal you, but what will you do if and when I do heal you? Like physically, things are gonna change, but mentally, will they? Are you just gonna go on with life? Are you just gonna go on thanking yourself for, for just waiting it out? Are you gonna say, oh, I'm glad I prayed that prayer? Will you change? Will you still be miserable? Will you still be here at the pool tomorrow? Have you guys heard that quote, misery loves his company? That's what Jesus is getting at. He's asking, listen, even if your body is clear of sickness, will your mind also be clear? Or do you prefer to, to stay this way? Because here's the thing, he loves you enough to heal you. He also loves you enough to choose that next step. That's free will, that's the choice he gives. Can you push on? Can you take the redemption in your body and push on to greater redemption for the rest of your life? That's what he's getting at. And it can kind of sound harsh. And it can kind of sound like, I don't know, that's, that's intense. What happened to like love with no strings attached, God? Maybe you've heard it like this. 
Maybe you've heard me say, you know, your, your, your test is his testimony, your testimony. Your mess is his message. Have you ever heard of that in church? Can you raise your hand if you've heard that, please? Don't just look at me. Raise your hand. Great, yeah, totally. I've preached. It's good. It's real. It's true, right? It's not not true. It's, a, it's incredibly cheesy, right? Probably on a Hallmark card. Not a bad thing on a Christian card. Do you remember, can you imagine that was the sympathy card you gave? This will be a test, but there's a... I'm just kidding. We should go into Hallmark card re, like writing together. That'd be fun. Dragon's Den, let's do it. Okay, moving back. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's inaccurate at all. But I have found lately that we love to sit in the, like when we share, we like to share about the test a lot more than the testimony. And that when we share with one another, we are very okay to share all about the mess because I need someone to rant to. I just need to vent and I'm, I'm okay to share the mess, but then we never get to the message. And I think we honestly have found it feels nice to feel affirmed and to feel like, like my suffering is being heard. Of course it does. We desire that. That's important. But then the progress forward, it's like we just forget about it. And then we just sit in misery. And also, you hear what I'm saying tonight? Like, this is reality, isn't it, sometimes? Can I give you an example from my own life? My grandma, Grandma Rita, that's a grandma name if you ever heard one, right? Rita? Any Grandma Ritas in the house? <laughs> if there was a Grandma Rita in here, I would be, what? Like, I would lose it. Um, my Grandma Rita was uh, married to a pastor. His name was John, Lucas John, Levi John, family name. And he was a pastor in Prince George. He, he worked in the city. And he decided to go on a hunting trip with another pastor um, years and years ago. And they both went on this hunting trip. They were in the kind of bush plane headed up north. And the other guy was a pastor in this church, just kind of a more rural area. And they kind of both worked together, were very close friends, and just believed in kind of just going after the city of Prince George together. And in that moment, they went up and they went hunting and, and they never returned. And later found out that the plane had crashed and both of them died, just really, really like putting a ripple through the city. And my grandpa John left my grandma Rita uh, as a widow. I believe she was no more than 25, maybe 24 at the time, with two baby girls, both under the age of two. And you can just imagine the, the heartache and the misery, which was really interesting. I need you to see, hear this for a second, young adults. I was sharing the story in the 9 a.m. service. Like some of the people at the service went to Bible college with my grandpa. Like there's, there is a fam, like familiar com, connection here, a family connection. And, I, and I, I was, it hit me really hard this morning. And so my grandma moved to Langley and, and got close with some other family. And people in this church who are not my family, I began to see his family, called them granny and grandpa. And I just, I share all that to say, my grandma didn't remarry till very late. And I remember looking at her one time, this was when we had, there were some great grandkids in the house. My brother had some kids running around and at a family dinner, I think it was Christmas, I went to her uh, just a couple years before she passed away. And just said, grandma, do you ever like, why don't you ever talk about Grandpa John? Why don't you, do you miss him? Which I get is kind of a stupid question looking back at it, but I just was like, we ne you never bring him up. There's never a conversation about it. Do you like, I don't want to say you regret anything, but like, do you wish it never happened? Do you wish like everything went back to different, like went back to normal? And I remember her looking me straight in the eye. She's a very quiet woman, reserved. And she looked at me and she said, Lucas, why, why would I cherish and look at and sit in and talk about painful memories and death when all I see is life? And in that 
moment, I'm looking and I see my brother and his kids and I see my cousins. And she said, because what would have happened actually is uh, the day after that hunting trip was supposed to end, they were supposed to move to Toronto and, and start a whole new church. And she's like, I don't know if you would have been here. I don't know if your cousin would have been here. I don't know if Nick would be here or Emily would be here. I don't know if any of you would be here. I wouldn't trade anything. Why would I sit and, 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 and stress and think about the past when I see so much goodness and faithfulness and love right here, right now? God can do incredible things. And I remember her saying this to me. And I, like, she's like, I'm leaving the past behind. I'm pressing on towards what's ahead. Just like Paul says, that the suffering advanced the gospel, that, that there is goodness to be seen. And if all I do is sit in my misery, I'll never see the beautiful message and moments that Jesus is setting up for me every single day. That's what she was saying to me. Why, I don't want to miss this. Why would I just dwell here? Was it hard? Yes. But does he bring us through it? Yes. And Jesus is saying the same thing to this guy. Listen, you can sit and you can feel and you can sit and you can feel or you can see what I'm gonna do through you and with you. Do you want to be healed? Because there's some stuff to get done afterwards. And I think again for us, like we just, he's kneeling, like Jesus is kneeling down. He's leaning into you, to me tonight even. He's looking at this man who gets no attention and he's saying, listen, I know it's been hard, but there is resurrection life for you, new life. That's what this word actually means, get up. Verse eight, it says this. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. This is really important. This word get up is the Greek word for resurrection. Like he uses it when he talks about to Lazarus in, in John 16. He uses it when he references himself. I am the resurrection and the life. I believe it's John 11. He says it again later in John like 20 or something when he's talking to his disciples about being resurrected. Friends, there is resurrection life for you and me. And either we sit in the misery or we see what God is doing in front of us and we keep pushing. And I know it's hard. And here's the best part is he does it with you. I don't want this to sound like a you just push through message because it's, it's not what it is. He's saying, let's do it together. Get up, get up. It's time to secure that resurrected life. And listen, I know the last couple of years have been so hard. We've all faced it in different ways and the conversation is so nuanced. It'd be, I don't want to you know, paint us all with one brush. Like it's been hard. I, I was miserable, so miserable, so many days, so miserable, like just, like the staff started, stopped inviting me to meetings because I was just like, hey, what's up, COVID, I know, goodbye. Like it was just, it was just, like it was hard, right? It was challenging. And you have your situation, I get it. But Jesus is aware of what your years of ministry, misery look like. And he's challenging you, he's challenging me. He can heal, but what will your part look afterward? How can you press into that healing journey? Because the mess can be over, but will you leave it there? Are you following me? The second thought, deeper meaning, I'm, we'll rush through these ones a little bit faster, is there was a cost to this healing. So firstly, again, there's, he's asking, will the mindset change, not just the physical, but there is a cost to this healing. Verse nine, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. <laughs> Sorry, I just gotta stop. I have a few more verses, but can you... Just literally think about this for a second. Can you imagine telling a man, a paraplegic man, who had been lying for 38 years, that it was illegal on that day to carry his mat and walk? Like, this is hysterical. You know, this is funny. I wish you guys laughed, because that's ridiculous. That makes me so angry. Like, I just wanna, I don't even know. 
verse 11. But he, you know what I'm saying? Like, isn't that wild? But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up my mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? Oh, like, guys, Jesus knew the power he was speaking with. He wasn't, he wasn't like, he, didn't, he did not know that. And the power that was in him, he knew that it would shift and it would fracture the legalism that was hovering over many people. Do you want to be healed? Because, because I'm gonna shift some things right now. There's a paradigm for some people around here. Listen, I don't know the guy's name. Listen, guy, like, it's the Sabbath, okay? It's the Feast of the Tabernacles. I actually am not sure which one. It's the festival tonight. Do you wanna be healed? Because this is gonna rub some people the wrong way. This is gonna be bad. This is gonna stir some stuff up. This is gonna shift, again, the paradigm for many. And I just think Jesus is reminding us in this moment, reminding you, reminding me, he's demonstrating something here. It's a big statement, but I, I want you to get this. He's demonstrating Christological character, meaning Christ-centered characteristics that you and I need to pick up. Why? We need, as Christians, we need to cultivate this everywhere we go. We need to make sure, this is really important, that there are some conversations and there are some paradigms in people's minds that we have to shift, that we have to say, I don't know where you heard that, you keep saying that about church, and I don't know where you heard that, because it's totally not what I've seen. Where do you hear that? Let me give you an example. I used to work at a tool rental shop, a shop, Richlock Rentals, and, and for a long time there was this guy, his name was Big Ray, and, and I would walk by Big Ray, and he's like, hey, how's church going? Because he knew I was like, I was pretty, I'm like, it's great, you want to come? Like, I'd always invite him, and he'd always say the same thing. Maybe you've heard this. This is like a classic one got an uncle will say something like this, total uncle saying, and he'll be like, no, if I walked into a church, lightning bolt, zap, right dead there, in, on fire. You ever heard that before? Yeah, you got an Uncle Fargus who says that, for sure. And, um, and so Big Ray would always say this, and I was like, what? Yeah, <laughs> like, good one, good, good joke. And I would just move on with the day, and then I'd ask him again. He'd be like, no, no, if I went in, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know, burn to crisp. Like, it stopped being a joke, and I just knew. And at one point, I realized, like, I think he honestly thinks that he wouldn't be allowed in the building. Like, I truly think he feels that his sin or whatever he's done in his life, and he's almost bragging about it, would be so bad, so demonstrative that he would not be, like, allowed in. And I want to see that broken. And so at one point, I remember going to Ray and just saying, you keep saying that, and I need you to know something. Like, you will only sense grace and love when you walk in my church. And I actually broke down what's going to happen. I'm like, you're going to walk through some doors. You're going to be welcomed, maybe a little too much, because he was a private guy. I was like, you're not going to actually, you might not enjoy that. But like, someone's going to be hey, welcome to church, and you're going to just push him aside. Like, that would be big, right? And I was like, you may, and then you'll find a seat, and then you'll see some slides that tell you some information, and then be some nice music. You can even get a coffee if you want. If you come on the right day, there might even be free pizza pockets after. Woo! Like, there might be some things. I got a lot of hate for the choices this week. Chill, okay? Just too deep fried, like leave me alone. You bake them, okay? Uh, I'm not baking them, so I don't know why I said that. That's not fair. Um, talk to Grace and Lauren. Like, like this is what's gonna happen, and I walked him through, friends, because he had this paradigm of what his experience would be, and I'm telling you, there are friends, there are people, there are like family members around you that have a very odd like perspective of what church and Jesus is all about, and it is your job and it is my job to shift it. It is our job. 
take a second right now, pull out your phone, think about who it is, like the thing you hear all the time, like who is someone, what is one person that you can have a conversation with or you will stop next time instead of being like, ha ha, that's a good one, I know, I love Jesus and that means, blah, blah, whoa, wh- wh- why are you saying that? I've had to do that all the time with things like ideas of this or that or movies you can watch. I got in this big argument this weekend about movies that my kids are allowed to watch or aren't allowed to watch because they're raised in the church. I was like, they'll watch whatever dad is watching. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I think we're just watching the Adventures of Odyssey until they're 47. I don't like, where did you hear that? What's, what perspective are you coming from, right? We showed them Chronicles of Narnia. Like, I think I said that last week and they're like, Really? Like, it's literally about Jesus. There's a lion and a witch. Big deal. Like, what's the big deal here? Like, we have to shift these paradigms. You follow what I'm saying? Like, this is important. And Jesus is doing that very thing. There is a cost here. And I need you guys to see it. I want you to think about it. Practical stuff for you. Okay, final thought as we wrap up here. Final thought. Thirdly, and this is the kind of, I don't know, the biggest one, I think is that initial faith wasn't the priority. This is the deeper meaning behind the question. But the man's future discipleship was. What do I mean by that? Let's read this final verse together. Verse 13. The man who was healed, please underline this if this is your Bible. Please circle this. Please bold it, whatever it is. The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Verse, actually, hold on, like, what? I thought there was like, isn't there like a prerequisite of X amount of faith will give you Y amount of healing? Like I have this much faith, so I know he'll at least cover my headaches, but if I get a back injury, am I covered? This is how we treat healing and God often, like an insurance company, we have X amount of, you know, dollars to spend a year. It literally says he has no idea who Jesus is. Well, if you go to Mark 2, you'll find that story of those best friends who cut that hole in the roof. You hear it every time at summer camp. It's a great chunk of scripture and they lower him down. What does Jesus say? He points up at them and says, your faith has healed him today. So wait, the man who was healed had no idea who it was. You can get a name. If we go back to the other part of the scripture, But he replied, the man who made me well. The man, there was, a, there was a guy. I don't know, his name was dude. Like he just, and I'm up. He doesn't know who Jesus is. And Jesus sits in and comes over and heals him. And I know for some of us, we love this. This fits right into our, like, again, our theology. It's like, yes, that's what Jesus does. You don't need to know. It's not even a big deal. Like, he just heals and he loves everyone. There's no, there's no, like, he doesn't hate anything. He just, he just loves everything and everyone all the time. He just wants me to be happy. We have this moment over here, like, look what he just did. And then it says this. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said, ah, see, you are well, see, you are well again. Then Jesus says this, guys. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. So now he knows who Jesus is, right? We have a clear distinction here. He goes from, I don't know who he was, and I healed him. And we're like, yes, Jesus. And this is how much he loves us. And this is how much he wants to reach down even tonight and show you that he cares for you. No matter what you've done in the last week, he sees you, he loves you. He wants to potentially, even tonight, heal you. He, he has a plan for your life. And then over here he's saying, stop sinning because it would truthfully be worse than 38 years 
as a paraplegic. What? I just find this, I just find this, there's so much depth here, you guys. There's so much depth here. So what's he saying? What's he getting at? Saying your healing journey starts with the sickness of sin. And I know we don't like hearing that. Jesus is literally saying that sin in your heart can cause as much damage, can make you worse off than 38 years not moving and being able to do like anything. He's showing us the weight of sin. And in the same breath, he's showing us the weight of his love, which is so much greater. I need that to be said tonight that as a pastor, it like, it concerns me. And I want you to know, I never wanna seem like I'm like dumbing it down. The, the dangers of sin are real. The pain it causes is real. And as your pastor, this is why Jesus came. As we head into Easter, he came as the savior of the world. That's why he came. That no matter our sin, no matter what we walked in with, there is grace for you. There is new mercies every morning. He has come to rescue us. He is here. He died on the cross with the sin. Resurrection life has brought him anew, right? Like he is alive again. The sin could not hold him. We sing a song that says, my sin was great, but your love was greater. That's what he's saying tonight. So he's saying to you, what he's saying to me, it's what he's saying right here. I need you to see this. But there is something about this healing that is very important. I had someone email me right after the first service and I wanna say this. She emailed you saying, after she received healing, she said, I know all too well how much I needed Jesus after I was healed. In the moment I just lost sight in my grief and loneliness, I was healed and I realized now, afterward, I needed Jesus more than ever. So I just wanted to say something feel like, oh, I haven't had enough faith to be healed. Jesus is shifting that paradigm here. Is there feeling, uh, is there faith healings? We're, of course, Mark 2, I already pointed at it, but that is not a prerequisite we would say across all healing. That's not what we see in scripture right here. It's important to realize. I was listening to something recently and, and I heard Mark Clark, this is a quote out of his book and I'm, I'm closing here. It says this, Jesus knows something that we know but we refuse to embrace that in life, there are no easy, quick answers. When we face demons in our life, the answer most often isn't deliverance, but discipleship. Young adults, you need to hear this, that that porn addiction or shopping addiction doesn't just disappear overnight. It takes time and hard work. Narrow is the road that leads to life and only few find it. The road to transformation is tough. It's not felt in a power encounter or flashy instance for most of us, for some maybe, but for most of us. But it's found in hard fought in the dark when nobody is looking at us amidst sweat and tears and confusion and in prayer. Do not despair, God is there. There is a reason our church lately has pushed freedom groups. We're like challenging people to get in a small group we're challenging small groups to do the freedom material. If you don't have a small group, Tuesday nights, this Tuesday, in a few days, starting on, I think it's the 12th, 
we will have freedom groups happening here at the church. I know some of you young adults are joining in. I know a couple young adult men who are leading a group. Like there is small group, there is freedom to be found. Why are we pushing it? Because we know that for many of us, we are only living like partially free. And that's what Jesus is getting. He's like, your heart matters so much to me. That we're like the Israelites where we're out of, they're out of slavery from their oppressors, right? And they're, they're traveling, they're going, but they're condemned by their obsession. That they had left Egypt, but Egypt never left their heart. That they were literally free from whips and chains and, and slavery. And yet they literally cried out, we want Egypt, we wanna go back. They weren't free. And for us, maybe our pain might be gone but our perspective is still just drowning in doubt. We need freedom. The six, please hear me. Jesus wants to be with you. He wants to save you. He wants to journey beside you. You don't have to do this alone. I hope you're not hearing me say like, just push through tonight. I'm saying that he wants to heal you and that he also wants to heal you even further and that there is a journey there that it takes steps after step that we as a church want to journey with you that God wants to journey with you that you are not alone like Lista was saying and it's time to get up it's time to stop sitting in our misery it's time to move on it's time to keep pushing forward it's time to say I don't want to keep sitting in this addiction I want to actually truly fight and get up and work with God I want that resurrection life that the things that felt dead and gone can be made new that he is doing something new that's what I want I want what Jesus is saying and no matter how long I know some of us haven't been living that long or whatever it is but no matter how long of years of misery you have felt and you've been I think it's time to get free I think it's time to get up we need to get up and live in this freedom that's what he's saying that's the question behind the question that's the heart behind the question I want you to get it tonight. I want you to get it tonight. Because I want you to look back in five and 10 and 15 years and feel like I just stayed there. He wants to journey with you right now. He wants to see you right where you are right now. He wants you to respond right now. Would you stand to your feet with me? Worship team's coming, we're closing. I wanna pray with you. Would you close your eyes and let me pray over you? Can you just do me a favor? Like, you know how I like to do this. I'm often somewhat introspective because I just feel like this is where we respond and there's nothing I can do and say, I just preach what I can preach. It's the Holy Spirit who works. And so just maybe you need to separate yourself from your friends, your group that you came with and just stop for a second. Lights, can you just come down for a moment? Like in your own heart, I need you to see this and know this. If you came in here feeling heavy burdened, like knowing that gripped by an addiction or sin, Maybe tonight it felt like Jesus illuminated that and that was hard. I'm telling you right now, he illuminated it so that he can be rid of it, so that he can work in you, so that he can speak to you. Friends, he wants your heart. He wants you to reach out. And so I'm, it's really simple. You can just close your eyes. You can open your heart. You can lift your hands and say, Jesus, I'm reaching out to you. God, right now, I just pray for every person in here who just feels like, God, there is freedom to be found. I just can't quite reach it. God, I pray in Jesus' name that we would be people who get up, that we would be the generation marked by getting up, 
that when you call us, God, to, to more, to the resurrection life, to the power, to the hope ahead, to the journey on, that we would be people who persevere. Would you give confidence where there has not been confidence? Would you give perseverance and strength to the young adult who hasn't felt like they have not had any perseverance? To the person who, who goes two days and three days, whatever it is, on their on that thing and their, that habit, that addiction, and feel like, I just, I can't, I'm gonna, no, no, no. Would there be power and strength that you bring tonight, Lord, even? resurrection power, life and joy that says, I, I, I can't get through this, but with God, I certainly can get through this with you, Lord. So would we just feel, God, that you're coming beside us, strengthening us, journeying, journeying with us in healing. God, for the person right now who is sick, physically, God, if there's someone who just struggles with migraines or the back pain, Lord, or maybe there is like a serious diagnosis in this room tonight, Lord. I think of that lady I was praying for this morning with the throat cancer. I think of the person who just has dealt with grief and loss. The person who maybe just went through nasty breakup or, or, or difficult conversation with mom or dad. In Jesus' name, right now, I pray for healing. I pray that you would respond to the misery and the heartache in this room. That God, we would know that better days are truly still to come. That we would believe it, Lord not because it gives us what we ask for, but because, God, we serve you, a God who wants to heal and journey with us, a God who wants to do something now and tomorrow, a God who's doing something here and there. Like, you, God, are moving right now, and I just pray that you would do a work, you would speak, you would heal hearts, and, God, that we would see you alive in us. So, God, bring freedom where freedom is found. I pray that there would be young adults who I know feel nervous would literally step into a freedom group this week, that they'd be coming to church, that they would sign up online tonight, right after we're done, because they know there's something else to be found and gathered and grasped, Jesus. That's not just the physical healing, there's something more you're truly calling us to. So God, speak to our hearts, move in us now. God, we repent and we run to you, because where you are, Jesus, is where we need to be. In your name we pray. And everybody said, come on, everybody said, Come on, let's sing with the team.